Well, um, we're in, as I mentioned, Revelation chapter 4 today. So if you have your Bibles you can, or your phone apps, you can uh, turn to Revelation chapter 4. And most of the verses will be on the screen up here too. But it's sometimes good to mark your Bibles um, so that the Bibles can mark your lives. Now, um, a- after Jesus uh, gave instructions to the seven churches, then John was caught up into heaven as we read beginning in chapter 4 and what is the first thing that the apostle John notices when he's caught up into heaven after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first um, voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. First thing he noticed was a throne with someone sitting on it, which is uh, a major theme throughout the book of Revelation. In fact, the throne was mentioned 14 times in this chapter and 46 times in the Revelation, in the book of Revelation. Who's on the throne? Well, of course, God is sitting on the throne. In verse 3, And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. There's beautiful light emanating from this throne, the light of God. A full rainbow of brilliance encircled the throne above and below, signifying God's completeness. It wasn't just this type of rainbow. It went all the way around, encircling it. Again, signifying the completeness in the throne room of God, because God is there. And we're told that uh, God displayed ruby, or carnelian, and jasper which were incidentally the first and the last of the 12 gemstones on the breastplate of the Old Testament priest found in Exodus 28, which reveals God's intention to have all of his creation reflect his eternal glory. God does everything with purpose. The complete antithesis of what we read about in this scene would be that of hell. The absence of God, the absence of color, the absence of light, the absence of beauty. In fact, in the book of Jude, verse 3, hell is described as the blackest darkness which has been reserved for the rebellious forever. And so what does John see around the throne? In verse 4, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Who are these 24 elders? Well, there are at least 13 different interpretations as to who they are, but the, most, the two most common interpretations I found were the 24 elders represented all of redeemed Humanity, the number being complete or full, the number 12. So 12 plus 12 equals 24. You have the 12 tribes in the Old Covenant of Israel. And then in the New Covenant, you have the 12 what? 12 apostles. The New Covenant, which includes both Jew and Gentile. 
Therefore, all of redeemed humanity could be represented by these 24 elders. If you see it as symbolic. Others see it as more literal. There were 24 literal thrones up there. And they would be maybe a special class of ruling angels who are representing God, doing, bidding, uh, doing his bidding his work around the world, worshiping him, wearing crowns, signifying royalty. Well, there were also other heavenly beings surrounding the throne. In verse 6, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. That's kind of creepy. Uh, The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third like a face like a man. Uh, The fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Wow. Now, if you were to wake up in the middle of the night and God wanted to give you a holy presence of these four living creatures, what would be your response in your dark bedroom? I know what I would tell my wife. Honey, I think we need to change the sheets. (laughs) I don't know. Would you hit the floor and worship, or would you run like crazy? I don't know. All of God's creation, though, whether in heaven or on earth, reflects his truth and his glory. And so what do these symbols mean? The four living creatures had eyes all around and under the wings, which symbolizes that we we serve a God who sees everything, who sees all. Nothing catches him by surprise. The six wings, perhaps God is able to go anywhere where he is omnipresent. And his angels, of course, could travel at warp speed to do his work, his ministry. And there are four differences between these creatures and which may reflect the um, different kinds, the, the greatest kinds of all of God's creation. For example, uh, the lion could represent the noblest wild animal, wild beast in all of its majesty and power. The ox could represent the strongest of domesticated beasts, who are faithful in labor and service, and they're patient, the ox. The one with a face like a man would represent the wisest in all of God's creation, with the ability to reason with intelligence. And the eagle could represent the bravest of all the flying creatures in the air. Eagles have power in their vision, and they can soar to the highest heights. Now, these four would suggest the noblest, the strongest, the wisest, and the bravest in all of God's creation, which point to God's creativity and his provision. Someone else suggested that these four beasts could point to the qualities in the exalted Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is seen as the king or the lion. In Mark, Jesus is viewed as the servant or the ox. Uh, In Luke, Jesus is seen as the Son of Man, or the one with a face like a man. And then in John, Jesus is seen as the sovereign God, deity, or the eagle coming from heaven. 
God becoming man. And Jesus being the perfect representation and reflection of God in the flesh. God with us. What was the purpose then of these four living creatures and the 24 elders? Well, we read in verse 8. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is, is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So here are these four creatures and these 24 elders offering to God what is the first worship song in the book of Revelation. How many worship songs throughout the book of Revelation would you guess that there are? Take a wild guess. Seven. An often repeated number signifying completion, like the seven days of a week completes the week. Seven is used over and over again throughout Revelation, as is 12 and other numbers like this. And we'll get into that later and next week. But they were worshiping God, and worship is a central theme, not only in heaven, but it's a central theme in Revelation. And we're commanded to join all of these creations and angels in heaven in our worship of God. And you might be thinking, how in the world, though, can I be expected to worship God for all eternity? I mean, I do well just to come to church once a week to worship God, much less day and night in heaven and all eternity. And why would God desire all of creation to worship him like this? It sounds a little egotistical. It would be as if I invited all the kids up for a children's sermon right now and had them sit and face me and then I instruct them, tell me how wonderful I am as your pastor. Go. It just wouldn't feel right, would it? Maybe to Jeremy, but not to me. <laughs> well, the remainder of the, this uh, message will come primarily from chapter 5 and we're going to explore five things just briefly each one why God would have us worship him and why it makes sense that we ought to worship him and here's the outline because of how he created us because of who he is because of what he did because of what he does and because of what he will do that is why we are to worship him so let's unpack each of these. We worship God because of how he created us. In fact, we are created for worship, for worship of God. And if we do not worship God, then we will worship something or someone else. We cannot not worship. Whether we worship our bodies, or whether we worship ourselves, or whether we worship uh, recreation, or our sports, or our athletes, favorite athletes, or musicians, or politicians, or famous Hollywood actors and actresses, 
Or we may worship our food or our possessions or our bank accounts or our success. We have to worship something because we're created to worship. Romans 1, Apostle Paul says, they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And just as automobiles cannot go anywhere without gas or now electricity, then humans can accomplish nothing without God. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so God asks us to worship him because he knows that we run on him. He, he wants to remind us that we can only experience life as he intends and joy and peace and purpose and hope only in him. He knows this and he wants us to experience it. And so he says, worship me so that I can bless you. So in a way, it comes back to us. When we worship him, it comes back to us in blessing. Secondly, we worship because of who he is. Chapter 5. And look at verse 5 with me. After Jesus opened the scroll, he said, See, John saw, see the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so there's the lion, but then, and then the picture now suddenly changes to a lamb. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So Jesus here is seen by John as a triumphant lion, the lion of Judah. He opens the scroll because he's the only one worthy. And then he's seen immediately following as the lamb of God standing at the center of the throne. And how is this lamb pictured? In verse 6, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Is that what Jesus looks like? A lamb with all these eyes or, you know, again, it would be freakish if that's what he would look like. But, but John was given this vision because it symbolized who Jesus is, the risen Christ. The seven horns represent perfect power. Seven being a number of completion and perfection. Horns representing power. Therefore, the omnipotence of God. The seven eyes represent perfect wisdom and vision, therefore the omniscience of God, all-knowing. And then the sevenfold spirit or the seven spirits represent the perfect presence of God, who's able by his spirit to go anywhere, therefore his omnipresent. Therefore, in this picture of Jesus the Lamb, we see God, the um, omnipotence, the omniscience and the omnipresence of God and the risen Savior. Jesus, this lamb and this lion, is no longer found in the manger or on the cross or in the tomb, but he is exalted in heaven, reigning supreme in the center of the throne. Over every king, he's supreme. Over every kingdom in the universe. And not only does he reign over the universe, he reigns over our circumstances. Glenn MacDonald speaks of life during tumultuous election years. And he writes this, according to the New York Times, the fate of the nation 
and the civilization is at stake. There's been a surge of white nationalism, the president stoking an ongoing bitter feud with Congress and saddled with approval ratings below 40% keeps accusing the media of being one-sided. The Middle East is torn by war and acts of terror. Civil rights issues remain front and center. The threat of Russian, Russia meddling is so concerning that one candidate has declared that the Kremlin will try to influence the rest of the election by every means conceivable. And we're, of course, talking about the election of 1948, where Truman upset Dewey. He goes on to say, We may think our, our nation now has never been in such a sorry state when it comes to incivility, divisiveness, and crass politicizing of every current event, but that's only because we're overlooking the no-holds-barred, bitterly contested campaigns of 1800, 1824, 1876, 1948 with Truman and Dewey, 1960, and who can forget 2000, Gore, Bush, the hanging chads in Florida, which went on and on. By the way, who were the vice presidential candidates running that year in 2000? Do you remember Dick Cheney? And, and Lieberman but in Psalm 47 God reminds us that he reigns over the nations he is seated on his holy throne Jesus has not resigned his position as the director of the cosmos and he isn't going to be unseated by the electoral college don't be so filled with fear this has happened before we worship a God who reigns over every situation. And then we worship a God for not only who he is, but what he did. We will worship a God when we're reminded how much he has done for us, when he gave his life for us. God gave us his son in verse 9 of chapter 5, And they, the four creatures and elders, sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. We're able to love God because he first loved us. We worship him because of the extent of God's love for us, what he did for us. This shouldn't surprise us. We do this naturally in, in, on the human realm. When a loved one dies and we attend a funeral service, then we will, in a way, sing the praises of our loved one who, who died. We'll focus on their positive attributes and characteristics and how they touched so many people and how they impacted our lives. And, and we do this, and we should do this. We don't worship them, but, but we kind of sing their praises in a way. How much more, though, can we worship and sing the praises of the one who died for us and who lives for us forever, our Savior? We worship God because of what he did for us. And then, fourthly, we worship God because of what he does for us. NFL fans love this guy. Do you know who he is? In case you have never seen him before, his name is Mr. Patrick Mahomes. People purchase his jersey. They talk about his stats. 
They relive his moments and celebrate his victories. They shout in adulation when they see him in person. They hang posters on their bedroom walls. They ascribe worth to Patrick Mahomes, and he's worth a lot financially. In other words, they worship him. That's what ascribe worth means, to worship. And Lynn has been asking me to remove his posters from our bedroom walls for some time. (laughs) I'm kidding. She wouldn't dare to do that. (laughs) Yet Patrick Mahomes has done nothing for me, really. He gives me momentary thrills, but he doesn't care about me. He doesn't know that I exist. He doesn't give a rip how my life goes this next coming week if I have a bad week or a good week he doesn't care but there's one who does care and one who knows me intimately and you as well he loves us he cares for us he wants the best for us and he will always remain with us this is what he does for us God pursues relationship with us he listens to us in verse 8 And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. God inhabits our praises. He hears our prayers. They rise to his throne like incense. Imagine all of the golden bowls filled with prayers in in heaven right now based on last weekend alone when Franklin Graham led a group to the day of prayer in Washington DC and at the same time the weekend of repentance at the return led by Jonathan Kahn just prayers of repentance all weekend long hundreds of them millions of people praying online and in in person can you imagine all the prayers that are being stored in those golden bowls whether they're symbolic or not, before the throne of God. God hears our prayers because he longs for relationship with us. And God provides purpose in verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is incredible. We're told in the, in the churches, if you overcome Thyatira, then you will have authority over over the universe or over the uh, nations and and he told Laodicea the church in Laodicea if you overcome you will sit with me on my throne you we his church because we have made been made a kingdom and priests forever that's purpose and then God provides hope in verse 11 Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands upon tens of thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. This is what God possesses. And these sacred songs, when they were lifted up in prayer, or when the suffering church, historically, when they read this revelation in God's word, they were immediately transported into the throne room of God. 
and their perspective changes. Our perspective changes when we're walking through the valleys of, of the shadows of death and when we're so discouraged and depressed and filled with stress and anxiety, when we focus on what's happening currently in the throne room of God, our minds are transported there when we worship and our minds are fixed on the reality, the true reality that will last forever as opposed to our circumstances here on earth that can weigh us down because God possesses power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and we praise him for that. When I get discouraged, I listen to worship music. I put on my iPod and my headphones and I mow the lawn or I just get up at night or I take a walk and, and I listen to praise music and I worship and I meditate on the truth and it transports me to the truth and in return I am filled with his peace and presence often and his assurance and hope Keith Green says when I hear the praises start he sings God says I want to rain upon you blessings that will fill your heart oh I see no stain upon you because you are my child and you know me to me you're only holy Nothing that you've done will remain, only what you do for me. A great song by the late Keith Green. And then finally, we worship God not because of what he does, what he did, but also what he will do. God tells us what he will do with our prayers, for example. In chapter 8, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and he threw it back down to the earth and there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. What do these things refer to? Earthquakes and thunder and lightning other than God's power released upon the earth. In the context of chapter 8, is coming in the form of judgment or vengeance because of all the enemies. Because in chapter 6, the martyrs who've died because of Christ, they're praying, how long, O Lord? When will you avenge the blood of the martyrs? How long? And the, God says, not yet. Just wait. Just be patient. And God says, I will be victorious. But not only does he come in judgment one day, but he comes to us in his provision, in answered prayer, in victory. Because he loves us. This is what he does and will do. And the church struggling in Revelation that was undergoing great suffer, uh, suffering because of the Roman Empire, they would have needed to know this. It would have filled them with hope. Imagine when our prayers that we've been praying for a loved one year after year, imagine when God says, I'm going to release them. The angel is going to take the holy fire from my altar, and we're going to cast it back down to earth in power, in effectiveness, in change. He promises that he hears our prayers, and he promises he will do that. Just hang on. Be patient. And then finally, just one last little bit, and I'm done. So, are we expected to worship all the time like the angels in heaven? Honestly, even if I were in heaven, I would think standing before the throne room of God, or the throne of God, 
and just worshiping him day and night like this would seem a little bit tedious. Eventually, maybe after 10 years, seem a little arduous, seem a little mundane. I could get a little bored just worshiping. I mean, holy smokes. It's hard enough to be in sanctuary for an hour. If that's our... If that's our thought of worship, then we've got it all wrong. Because worship is not just singing our praises. Worship is not just praying and listening to a sermon. Worship is everything that we do. Remember, we'll be made a kingdom and priests. Colossians 3 tells us, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. And the other passage, Romans 12, offer yourselves as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper and spiritual worship. Whatever we do, however we serve, whatever we think, whatever we say, whatever we sing, this is worship to God. We worship on Monday through Saturday, just not on Sunday. He's pleased with how we serve him, how we treat one another. This is spiritual worship to God. And this is our privilege for all eternity. Remember? The two churches, we're going to be able to sit on the throne. We're going to be giving authority over the nations because we are kingdom and we are priests who will co-reign with Christ forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you because of how you created us. You created us to worship you. We worship you because of who you are, what you did, what you continue to do and what you will do according to your promise. And so, Lord Jesus, we do worship you. And as we conclude this service with communion and song, Lord, we give you all of our hearts today. We draw near to you and ask you to draw near to us. Transform us even in this last 10 minutes together. Change us. Make us more like Jesus, I pray. Amen.